Well, as John mentioned, uh, we are entering a new season uh, for the next few weeks as we uh, consider what it, what it means um, to, to partner with, with God as we, as we steward all that he's given to us. And our sermon series is, is hopefully going to align with that as we consider the ways in which God in Christ has, has called us to, uh, to be shaken and stirred, shaken at our core and stirred in faith uh, to respond to this good news. And this morning we're going to look at um, what it means to be shaken and stirred as, a, as an insider. Life is good on the inside. Think about it. The perks of membership, proximity to those of influence. Life is good on the inside. Not long ago, I, was, um, I had the privilege of working with the number fourth ranking person in the state of North Carolina, according to policy. And I was just, you know, 25 years old. And I, I, I get to represent him, and I have all these lobbyists coming up to me. You know, hey, we want this, we want this, we want this. And it feels good. You know, this, this young little guy, you know, he doesn't deserve half the power he holds, and yet I, I'm next to a guy who does have power, and all of a sudden I have, I have this influence. I'm, I'm on the inside, and people are wanting to, to lobby me with their projects. I think about just, just, a, just a good old membership perk. There's nothing like going into a place where you have a, you know, you go over here to the Y and, and Tim knows your name, you know? It's like, hey, how you doing, you know? And, and all, you, you feel like you're on the inside and, and you're known, right? Life is good on the inside. And I think in a lot of ways, God, I don't think in a lot of ways, I know that God has designed us to all find our way to the inside. The kingdom that Jesus brings, he's, he, he wants us to, to find our way there. So life on the inside is good. In fact, it, it's part of God's call in each of our lives to, to find ourselves there. But I wonder if, if there's any blind spots to that position. Are there any deficiencies? Are there, are there any temptations that lurk for those of us on the, quote, inside? Those of us that are, that are part of Christ's church, those of us that are even a part of this community, are there any blind spots? You all know this if growing up in, in the church, but Jesus was uh, uh, pretty paradoxical, right? Like he, you know, everybody was expecting him to come in a certain way, and he, and he went about things totally differently, right? And in the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel writer Luke, he is known for, for what scholars will call this reversal principle, what do I mean by that? You remember Jesus' earthly mother, Mary? She has a song that we, that we account to her called the Magnificat. And she, and she sings praises to God, that God, you would choose the lowly to bear the mighty. God chose an outsider for the purpose of his inside-out kingdom. You look at the great banquet that Luke describes in Luke chapter 14. And the banquet host, he, he, he sends out his invitations and, and none of his, his you know, high-class friends come. We don't know why, but that's not the point. And so he sends out his servant to, to go out into the streets, to go to the, to the back alleys and say, you guys come. And they come. And they're recipients to the feast. 
Luke says the outsiders are invited to the banquet. Again, in Luke 16, we see Lazarus, who is, you know, he is leprous and he has these sores and there's this great reversal between him and the rich man. We see that, that, that Lazarus is next to Abraham in this passage. And this, and this rich man, unfortunately, finds himself separated from God. If being on the inside is God's plan and yet there is some sort of something that Jesus does that seems to upend this, what can we learn? And so this morning, we are moving into Luke uh, chapter 18, uh, the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. We'll begin in verse 9, um, and we'll end in, in verse 14. It should be on the screens, but hear God's word to us this morning. He, this is Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He's helping us out right away. What this whole thing's about is great. It's really good. You don't, you don't have to know much right here. This is, this is what it's about. Verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went to, the house, to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Father, this is your word. May it, may it light our path. May it constrain our hearts. May it point us to you. Do what you can by your spirit that we would see your glory that we would embrace it from our hearts and seek to share it with those around us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Doreen and I recently watched the Pixar, I think it's Pixar, it's, a, it's an animated movie called Hotel Transylvania. You know, it's the thing, we're getting close to Halloween, right? And uh, we needed a refresher, so we watched this one recently. And uh, you, you might know the story, but if you don't, you don't have to have seen it to, to get this illustration. Count Dracula, he's a dad, and his daughter, he's, he's been trying to protect her her whole life, right? Because his wife, Count's wife, was, was killed in a fire. So he's created this hotel to, to serve as like this, this protection barrier, you know, so that she doesn't go out to the bad people, the humans. And so he, he, he does all these things, and each year for her birthday, they celebrate her, and he's just hoping that she'll never really actually want to go outside, and lo and behold, a human sneaks in. His name's Johnny. And Johnny sweeps his daughter off her feet. She falls for this human. And the next thing you know is, all of a sudden, Count is noticing, wow, this human has some decent qualities about him. You know, I thought we were all pretty good on the, you know, here, here in the castle. The monster's here. We're good. We, we need to stay away from the humans. But he's starting to, to click with them. They're starting to joke. He's starting to see that he might actually be a good fit for my daughter. Why do I tell you that? I think it's a good picture of, of those that find ourselves on the inside. We, 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 we lose perspective. We lose perspective. What do I mean? In verse 9, we see 
the problem is that we, that we begin to trust ourselves. We begin, in verse 10, we begin to compare with other people. See, the temptation that each of us has as those on the inside, those with the membership privileges, those that have been gifted with, with many good things, those that are just simply Christian, instead of seeing it as a gift of God to be stewarded for God, we hold it tight. We begin to rest in it. We begin to find identity and value in those things instead of Christ alone. You see, the insider's problem is that they, they, they switch the order. They switch the order. They, instead of seeing their, their position in God's family as a gift, as, as something to be given away, they hoard it. Do you know anyone like this? So what do, we, what do we stand to gain? What do we stand to gain from this passage as we see this insider, this Pharisee? Well, the first thing that we, that we must do to sort of move out, to, to find that, that uh, there is a problem with being an insider is this. We have to recognize the inherent problem of the insider. The insider's problem in verse 11 and verse 12. You all know the Pharisees, right? You you've heard these stories, the character sketches. They were the, the self-righteous pigs that, that no one really liked, right? Well, take a look again at this passage, at this description. What do we see about him? We see that he's good. We see that he's moral and modest. He's upstanding. He gives to the poor. He's faithful to his wife. He's not a hypocrite, guys. Who does that sound like? I want it to sound like me. I want it to sound like you and I. See, we're, when we read these passages about the Pharisee, we're quick to do exactly what he did. God, thank you that I'm not like the self-righteous Pharisee. And in the moment that we utter those words, we have missed the entire point of the passage. He's not a straw man. It's you and I. It's those on the inside that have been given the gifts of God to be stewarded. So be warned. He was not a hypocrite. No. See, verse 11, what we see in verse 11 is a gift. He confuses that it's a gift that he's not an extortioner, unjust, an adulterer. It's a gift that you and I are not. Seeking help from others in tough places. It's a gift that many of us are gainfully employed. It's a gift. He doesn't see it as a gift anymore. He's begun to trust in himself. And then we see in verse 12, he, he tithes, he fasts. He's really good at his spiritual disciplines. Don't we want to be good at those too? They're no longer a privilege to him. They've become a duty. He's leveraging them to feel good about himself. The Pharisee, the, 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 the thrust of this text is that you and I, Christian, we want to squirm away from this so fast before we realize the true condition of our hearts. We compare. We feel really good when we when we do these things well. 
And, we, and all of a sudden we flip. We flip our station, our identity, our, our, the things that we've been given as those things that which we've earned and we give to God. So the first thing is to, is to recognize the insider's problem. It's that when we present our resumes, when we present our CVs to God, that we're missing it. We're missing it. So where are you comparing? In what ways have you compared? Because we see from the Pharisee that it begins to blind us. As a pastor, it's really hard sometimes. You see, man, they've got like a cool worship band. Gosh, that guy is so gifted at speaking. Huh? Low as me. It's normal. Where are you comparing? It could be something simple, something great. But consider it. Think of the ways that, that you are and know that it poisons your heart. You begin to, to, instead of seeing all that you have as a gift, talk about power. I don't have power right now. And like, you know, there were moments where I was like, man. Why don't I have power? Why do they have power? You know? What's, what's going on? And like I wanted to tell people I didn't have power, you know, first. Let me get it out first. I don't have power. You have power? Feel bad about your power. It's that subtle. It's that subtle. Second thing is this. Have you ever considered repenting of the motivation for the good things that you do? You see, the, the antidote, the antivenom to this comparison poison is to say that even the best things that I do, God, show the, way, show the grievous way, as David said, and the motivation for the reason that I do it. Our motivation will always be conflicted before Jesus comes back or calls us home. But in the meantime, what would it look like that in, the, in our finest hour, that we examine ways that we have maybe done that for our own selves. What would it look like to repent of motivation? Not just the sins, not just the bad things, but the good things that everyone seems to celebrate you for. What if you repented of why you did it? We've got to recognize the insider's problem, or at least the temptation of the insider. That's our first point. Our second point is this. We must rest in the insider's hope. What in the world is the hope of the insider? It's not in himself. Looking back at the tax collector, we see the tax collector standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast. And I'm tempted here to look like King Kong beating, but that's not, the point. That's not what he was doing, and then that would confuse you as to what he was actually doing. And now that I've actually done it, that's not what it means. He beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Luke wants us to see this man's posture. He wants us to see him physically. The Pharisee was standing by himself. He was very proud in a way of where he'd found himself. And the tax collector was far off, didn't even want to be seen He's beating his breast. This, this, is a, this comes from the Hebrew tradition. We see that when, when God's people of old would put on sackcloth and ashes as a physical sign of their mourning, of their crying out to God, of their lamenting, 
That, they would, that, that in some cases we see in Scripture, especially in Isaiah and Jeremiah, that they would beat their breast almost as a way of, of um, you know, physically showing that they're, of their, their sorrow. He wants us to see his physical posture. He's far off. He doesn't want to be seen. His eyes are down. He won't even look up. And he says, God, have mercy on me. See, the temptation here, I think, is we see the tax collector and his lifestyle. He, you know, he's betrayed his people. He's collaborating with the occupying government to collect taxes from his own people. And on top of that, he's padding his pockets in the, in the meantime to get rich, right? So, so, so what we see is we see sin exposed, where the Pharisee's sin is, is deep inside. Why we, need to, why we need to repent of motivation, the, fair, the, the tax collector's sin is visible. Everyone sees it. Like, it's a no-brainer that he's disgusted. If any of you are bail bondsmen here, I don't mean to offend you, but I think of bail bondsmen, and sometimes their tactics can be pretty uh, slimy. Um, and uh, the profession can sometimes get a bad rap. We'll take that to the, to the nth power. And this is, this is the hatred, the disdain that God's people had for the profession of tax collecting. But don't walk away too fast. Because Jesus knows we can't see hearts. And what we're tempted to do is we see these outward sins, and all of a sudden, as soon as we find that we're not committing one of them, that we're in the clear. He just he he gave us a person who is epitomizes what it means to be hated for for their uh, sin against God and the people to show us his heart. Because the tax collector says, I'm a sinner. He doesn't name any of his sins. He's naming the condition of his heart. So don't conflate those two. Don't conflate them. They're both sinners. And just because we may not collect taxes, we may not you know, pat our pockets, or you know, we're not crooked businessmen and women, um, we're not off the hook here. Uh, the tax collector says, the only thing he says Essentially is help. God, help me. Have mercy on me. The word mercy we see is only used one other time in the New Testament. This is in Hebrews chapter 2, where we see Jesus being proclaimed as the, as the greater Moses, greater than the angels. Um, he's the fulfillment of the covenant, this beautiful language. The only other time it happens is the author of the Hebrews says it as well. That Jesus, in Hebrews 2.17, is is the propitiation. He wipes away our sin. In other words, he sits on the mercy seat of God to cleanse us from sin. The tax collector is saying, I rest my whole weight on the mercy seat of God. My only hope has nothing to do with me. The first, we've got to recognize the insider's problem, but the second, we have to see that the insider's hope is to present nothing. We're tempted to present our resumes first, and the tax collector teaches us that we're called to present nothing to God. A few times that I've read this, I've always I've, I've thought that, man, is, is the tax collector, is he, um, is he just being pitiful? Is he expressing self-pity? Um. You know, he's, he's physically sort of laying it all out there. 
Uh, he's sort of, woe is me, I'm a sinner, laying down, very prostrate. Is he expressing self-pity? And perhaps I thought of it because it's worked kind of well for me. As a son, as a brother, as a leader, as a, as a spouse. Man, it's nice when, you're, when your wife comes to you and, and she just wants to give you a good bit of feedback. And you try to meet it in the middle. Like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Don't say it, don't say it. You know, you, you do some jujitsu with your apologies. So you don't actually get the feedback. Has self-pity worked for you? That's not what's happening here. That's not what's happening here. How do I know it? One, that would be manipulating God. And two, we see in verse uh, 11 or 14, the verdict is in. But this man went to his house justified. Now, self-pity, is, guys, is just a nasty, slimy form of pride. It's the same condition of the Pharisee. No, the tax collector is, is bearing it all out there. He's seeing who he truly, truly is by the Spirit of God, that, God, I have nothing apart from you. I can't present my credentials. I can't give you my resume. I can't do anything. I rest only upon the mercy seat of God, who we know Jesus is now the occupier. He's not, he's not practicing penance. He's not trying to manipulate God's favor. No, he's open, and he's asking God for help. You see, the passage ends with this, the whole lesson. It says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles will be exalted. The only way to be faithful insider is to expose yourself to the outsider. The only way to live faithfully within the house of God, the only way to be faithful as a child of God is to learn something from those outside. Is to learn something from Mary who just said, God, why would you use me? Thank you this lowly servant. It's, it's to learn something from this banquet parable that we see that the outsiders were brought in. Early in the Bible, we see that Abraham is blessed to be a blessing. Church gets all tied up in this thing called election. It's divided the church. Folks, it's as simple as this. God invites us into a relationship so that we'll invite others. The reason we've been called into God's family is that so we would show forth how good it is to be in his family, that we would make it appealing to everyone that we encounter. You're blessed to be a blessing. You've been brought in to show others the way. Don't walk away from this passage saying, God, thank you that I'm not like the Pharisee, else you've missed it. What does it look like to repent of motivation? What does it look like to repent of yourself pitiful ways, Skylar? The only way up is down. The only faithful way inside is to lean out. You see, Jesus, he was the only one who could go to the throne of God and say, God, I've, I've, I've fasted. 
I know your word. I love people perfectly. I've, I've given all, I, you know, I've tithed. He's the only one that could actually say these things and be received upon that. He's the only one who should never have to say what the tax collector said, God have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. That should never be true of him. But in Christ's upside-down kingdom, in his inside-out world, he has flipped that. He has taken on our sin. Our sin for his, for our good. He's the only one who deserved not to be pushed away, but instead we see that God the Father did. Jesus says, Father, they don't know what they do. Forgive them. In a moment of great pain and despair, when, when God should have invited his son to be with him, to come back, he's to be sure he's completed his mission, right? No. The only way for the insider to, to, to have life with God is, is for Jesus to, to take on all these sins, to, to go to the Father and, and, be, and be pushed away for our sake so that we find that life on the inside is only sweet when we see the perspective of those on the outside. If we see the the gift that we're given from Johnny in Hotel Transylvania, the humans on the outside. It's not us that we present our CVs. It's not that we show God the things that we've done, that we instead see it as a gift of God to be steward for his glory and our good. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, how challenging it is to see if we're truly honest with ourselves, that if it, it feels good to do things well, and that's not a problem, right? But God, what it, when we begin to we begin to flip the gifts that you've given us with with our very identity, Lord, can draw us to your presence, help us to see the propensity of our Pharisaical hearts. Convict us and remind us that the life on the inside is coming to you and saying, I have nothing, and you giving us life. This is the hope of the world. The humble will be exalted, and those that are haughty will be humbled. Lord, may we be a humble people for the sake of this community. In Jesus' name, amen.